Hello, my friends. This is Sheila Pearl, the Love Doctor. And this is Let's Talk About Making Love Better. And in this conversation, I have invited my friend, my colleague, my mentor, Terry Levine. And Terry, you know, I forgot to ask you, do you pronounce your na name Levine or Levine? You said it right, Levine. <laughs> okay. Uh, sometimes there's a, there's a question, is it Levine or Levine? Is it Bernstein or Bernstein? You know, uh, the, these uh, things we kind of giggle about. And uh, years ago, I was introduced to Terry uh, in terms of her, her, her business called Heartrepreneurs and having a heart-centered business in terms of business strategies and, and business coaching and all that sort of thing. And I, I also went to her wonderful, wonderful on-site uh, workshops. Was it a workshop? Was it a retreat? Or was it both? I think it was both. Right? I think it was kind of a combination, yes. <laughs> right. So, uh, but in the meantime... Terry decided to write a book, which is not part of her, uh, uh, she, she's an indefatigable author. So she's got lots of books about business strategies and how to get more clients and how to make more money and all those wonderful things. So she's got a lot of books out there. In fact, Terry can't keep track, so I, I can't keep track. But the book that she's come out with two years ago is called About to Break. And it's about the path to true forgiveness. And so when she sent me the manuscript so that I could, you know, write a, uh, uh, a foreword with integrity, having read the whole book, I was struck by so many aspects that touched my heart. And, and I'm reminding myself now of why I invited Terry to be in this conversation, because in the uh, conversation about, let's talk about making love better, the question is, how do we make our loving relationships closer, more intimate, more fulfilling, more satisfying? And what I know in the work I do, I've been doing it 40 years with individuals, couples, and families, I know that true loving relationships, true connection, true intimacy, and I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, I'm talking about emotional, spiritual intimacy, comes from having a comfort with yourself, having an acceptance of yourself, being at ease with who you are. So you don't need the other person to constantly validate you. You're not in a relationship that's coming from need. You're in a loving relationship that's coming from true reciprocity and sharing. So when I was reading the manuscript and I read that Terry had gotten to a point in her life with what I call the buildup effect of things that had happened when she was a child, when she was young, and perhaps thought that uh, with those traumatic events that she could, you know, uh, sweep it um, under the rug, had not really dealt with the trauma of that effectively. She had gotten to that point in her life where she says she could not be loving with anyone, where her heart had closed where her ability to love others was in direct proportion to and connection with her ability to love herself. And she realized that she had gotten to a breaking point. Hence, the name of the book, About to Break. So Terry, I want you just to go with the flow today, just to share with us from your beautiful heart what in the world happened in your life that got you to the point where you were about to break or had gotten to that breaking point and inspired you to share your story 
and, and, and a process of forgiveness that you have now shared in this book and you share it in the work you do. And I use it. So I use many aspects of your forgiveness process. And uh, so my, my clients on the receiving end of the wonderful, beautiful work that you have brought to all of us. So Terry, share with us what you're all about now and, and, and why the, the, the path to forgiveness is so important for all of us. Thank you so much. And it's such an honor to be with you. I really put on a good air in my life where on the exterior, I look, you know, happy and fulfilled and people would look at me and say, oh, your life is so wonderful. And yet inside, I didn't feel any love for myself. And I really mean any. It was a period of a couple of years where I was always angry with myself, frustrated with myself, and I began to notice myself talk, and it was really very damaging. And as someone who's, you know, always helping my client family members with their self-talk, I'm like, I have to get an alignment. I have to get an integrity. And I decided to really dig deep and figure out why I wasn't loving myself, why I could teach other people to do that, why I wasn't doing it. And to speak to your point, that's when I started going back and rehashing my life. I actually got a notebook and I got a pen and I started going decade by decade saying, where was it or where is it that I started to become unloving and unkind of myself and of others? And as I started to just take these notes decade by decade, that's when experiences started to show up. In the beginning of the book, I talk about children playing. There was a group of us playing where we shouldn't have been playing and we made a big box that was there from construction efforts. And some children came along and literally tried to burn us alive in the box. And I was very tiny and had a lot of trouble getting out. My friends got out easily. I'd barely got out. That had bothered me, Sheila. That had like sat with me my whole life. And you're, what you said about sweeping it under the rug was true. And then a series of things, anything and everything that I did in my life that I felt badly about, even though you can't fix the past, right? Everything that, oh, I wish I did this. I wish I said this. They were all boiling within me. And I was unhealthy physically, emotionally. I could conduct business and help the whole world in business. I wasn't fulfilled, no matter how much money I made, that didn't matter. In here, something was missing. So Terry, I'm gonna just jump in and just observe yeah. uh, that the, the metaphor here, I think that the, the through line for our conversation is what I call the fire in the box. The fire in the box. And I know that you have some profound health issues and I'm thinking of your body kind of representing the fire in the box. So excuse me for inter interrupting you, but I wanted to kind of, you know, underscore that the fire in the box, folks, you know, you can't ignore it. It will, it will get you every time. So I, I promise not I'm to sure. interrupt you. No, I'm glad you did. And, I, and I'll speak to that because the audience may not know. I actually have a neurological disease. It's called reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which is called the disease of fire or burning. Now, Think about that. <laughs> I mean, Terry, it's stunning. It's stunning how our body knows everything, reflects everything, and is constantly telling us something. A hundred percent. If we listen, right? If, if, we, if we listen, of course. 
I had not been listening. And in this journaling exercise is when I realized I'm broken or I'm a verge of breaking and I have to do something about this. And I had gone through Colin Tipping's process of radical forgiveness. It's a marvelous process. I'd shared it with clients. And I kept doing that over and over again. I'm like, something's still missing. And then Ho'oponopono. And I'm like, something's missing. And I started to put pieces together. And all of a sudden, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. They just fell into place like, oh, that's how it all goes together. And I created this process for myself. And all, and I do mean all of a sudden, as I began to weave this process together, I started to love myself more. I started to eat better. I started to take better self-care sleep better, get some quiet time, breathe deeper, meditate. I started to have my heart open more and more and more first for myself and then towards others. And a client of mine said to me, whatever you're doing, I don't know what you're doing. I see a difference. Wow. And I said, yeah, it's pretty cool. I said, I'm actually creating a process for myself of forgiveness. And she said, will you share it with me? And so I shared it with her and pretty soon, I think I shared it with about a hundred or 200 people. And one of them said, this needs to be a book. Other people need this. And that's how About to Break came to be. It's, and it's such a gift. And by the way, uh, for those of you who are only listening, you can't see the book cover, you can't see the book size, but it's one of these wonderful little books. It's a little jewel, right? And it's, it's not thick. It's, you know, it, it's, you can navigate this easily and use it. That was my goal. And, and it was interesting. You mentioned the size of the book. I said to my publisher, I want this to be like a gift, a gift that we can also give people. And I, anyone I felt I wanted to make amends with, I have given away so many copies of the book and I've shared the book in that way. I wanted it to be a gift book because the process of the path of true forgiveness for me, it was the biggest gift I gave to myself. And now I want to pass that on to others. I believe all of us have pieces from our past where we haven't let in love. And my goal is to help people let in that love and forgiveness. That's beautiful. Well, I, I, I have bought many copies. I'm, I've, in fact, I've got to reorder because I've got one left and this is it. But I do give them out as, as gifts and tools. You know, mm. it's not just something to say, oh, thank you very much. No, 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 no. I want people to open it and use it a lot. That was my goal, really my goal. The process that's in there, I can tell you, I can tell you it works. I know that because now I've taken probably probably five or 600 people through it and people constantly, whether they email me or message me or they send me a little video, it's made a huge difference. So I know it's a process and I am blessed that I got to develop the process and now I can share it with others. So I know that you, you know, we don't have time for you to go through, uh, the, it's not just one process, you have several processes, right? Yes. And uh, I just want to share one of your little quotes at the back where you said, how do I, how do you actually learn to love yourself? And your quote at the beginning of that chapter is, forgiveness is an inside job. Forgiveness comes from the deeper love of and for yourself. And so 
there are certain elements to the process. There's a certain step-by-step -step process to you know, whichever exercises you, you, you choose to take people through and Colin Tipping's process is powerful, right? But what would you say for the sake of, of the listener who uh, I want them to be inspired to get your book, but in the meantime, for them to understand that all of life for each of us is an ongoing process of discovery. And sometimes it's the most traumatic experiences that we have. Sometimes it's an illness. Sometimes it's a breakdown of a relationship. Sometimes it's, you know, wondering if you're going to be able to uh, go on uh, in, in a relationship with someone because things are so disconnected and broken. And for you to remind us that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's always hope. And there are ways that are given to us if we only would listen. There are uh, ways that we can reconnect with ourselves if we're only willing to do the work. And would you share with us what you've discovered is absolutely what we call fundamentally um, elemental, just kind of the elemental ingredients in that process. What would you, you know, kind of underscore for us? Well, the first thing that I would say is be willing to let go. And I really mean this. Whatever has happened in your life up until this moment, it's in the past. Let it be, let it go. There's no reason to beat yourself up over it. In fact, I look at it the way you said, it's a learning, it's a lesson. I wouldn't be where I am today, none of us would, without all that stuff in the past. So accept it as perfect. It's perfect, no matter what has happened, even when it's something that you think you don't understand, that's really tragic. Yes, and that is part of life. That is part of the journey. There are things that happen. So that's the first step. Okay, could I interrupt you? I'm sorry, I'm breaking my own Thank promise. But, but I have a family situation. I'm not gonna mention names, but it's mm -hmm. extremely painful for me because three of my grandchildren are not available to me because of this brokenness in the family. And the brokenness that occurred is something that I have to say, I, I'm not able to forgive. Uh, and, and so I'm struggling with that. I've, I've, I've forgiven my father for abandoning me and my brother and turning his back on us. I've dealt with that. I, I've forgiven others for betraying me and hurting me and breaking my heart. I, I'm able, but this one thing, it's like a sticking point because it was something that was done with such forethought and, and deliberateness and, and injured my other two grandchildren in the process. I don't know if I can let it go. So help, help me, because I don't think I'm alone in the world. I think there are a lot of us out there who have things that we're still holding on to. And I, it's almost like if I let it go, I'm somehow making it okay. It's not okay. All right. So that's the first shift. It is okay. That's the first shift. Well, that's it hard. That, that's hard for me to. <laughs> I understand. Right? So let me explain. Let me go deeper. We don't necessarily understand other people's behaviors. We don't understand their behaviors because we are not them. We see, oh, that's how it affects me. My new belief system, as I was going through this process, is I need for me. I need to let go and I need to forgive everyone. No matter who says what, who does what, I'm not in their head. I'm not living their life. I don't think like they think. I don't necessarily behave the way they behave. However, we're each on our own journey. I look at it as a movie. 
people are making their own movie. I need to just focus on my movie. Yes, maybe your movie seems to be interrupting my movie. I had this dream vision with my grandkids and now I don't have that. However, I have to accept that you have a different movie. And I really mean this because if we walk around saying, I just can't forgive this, I can't let this go. The only person, really breathe this in, the only person who struggles and suffers is ourselves. Because we replay that over and over. I can't believe this person's doing that. This is horrible. This is so wrong. I feel so sad. So what I do now, not in the past, is I choose to let go. I choose to say, you know what? I can't walk around feeling badly about this day and night because this does not feel good. I want to choose an emotion that allows me to have more freedom and more love. And so let me share something just really, really interesting. I have a client who had not spoken to his ex-wife in five years, and she wouldn't let him speak to his children for five years. They couldn't call him. They couldn't email him. And he had no custody. So he was broken up about this. And he was just, I'm going to use the word hateful. He was just very angry and raging. And I said, all I want you to do is start finding her good qualities, sending her love, thanking her, blessing her. If two months, and he was like, I'm not getting anywhere. Month three, he started to make a little bit of a shift, just a little bit. Shockingly, in month four, she called him one day and she said, the kids really want to see you. I'll let you see them on Sunday. Now, this was five years of not seeing his children or speaking with her. That has come now to be that they share joint custody. When you say, well, how did that come about? He changed his feelings. He changed his feelings. Got it? I got it. What I also get, Terry, is that everything is energy. Every thought, every belief has an energy. And that we don't fully appreciate the power of our thoughts on our feelings and our emotions and our beliefs because they have a ripple effect. I don't claim to understand it. But I know that that's the way the universe works. So somehow, in, in mysterious ways, right? If what you're telling me, he was working on himself to let go of his anger, his rage, his hateful feelings. And inexplicably, because they weren't in touch with each other. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't have mutual friends. Uh, no, nobody knew what was going on inside. He somehow energetically opened a space for her to enter. You phrase that exactly right. And, and, you know, this is the power of our thoughts. It really is. Thoughts become things. Thoughts are energy. And that's why I say we don't want to say something like, it's too hard. I can't forgive. I'm not going to let go or whatever that is. Because what we are doing is continuing to block in any new energy. So we have to take the energy of what do I choose to create? I don't wanna live my life going, I'm still angry, I'm still mad. How can you do that? I wanna live my life saying, sure, I don't exactly understand what you're doing or why. I'm just going to send you love and loving energy and light and blessings no matter what. And it can change. So. I'm going to jump in because I cannot ignore, nor can you, the fact that we 
you and I are living at an unprecedented time in the history of the United States of America, in which we are literally split right down the middle in terms of there being sides, there's being polarity, there's being attacks and counterattacks, there's division everywhere, there's anger, there's vitriol, and everyone thinks they're right on all sides of the question, everyone thinks they're justified in behaving in ways that normally we could all agree is not okay. And so this conversation, this issue of forgiveness and, 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 and being loving and letting go can apply to our world and to our nation as well, not just our personal lives and relationships. And I cannot step over that because uh, as we speak today, we're recording actually before I launch this podcast. So it's on the eve of the Senate trial going on and uh, on the aftermath of January 6th, 2021. And we cannot step over that either. So there's, there's a question about accountability and the role that plays in also letting go of certain things. So could you speak to that? Because, you know, listen, <clears throat> both of us are Jewish in whatever way we choose to be Jewish. But mm -hmm. I, know, I know about you because you mentioned it in the book and I know about me because of my experience. I'm a retired Jewish clergy. I was married to a rabbi. My grandson is a rabbi. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, known for being Jewish. So I've been on the receiving end of ugly anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism is one of those uh, dangerous uh, cancers uh, of thought and feeling and belief. Uh, it's alive and well. So, so how do we deal with letting go in the midst of the kinds of things that are also dangerous? I don't want to turn my back on uh, the things going on in the world. In other words, if you and I were living in Nazi Germany, we'd probably be on the receiving end of unspeakable uh, cruelty and have an opportunity to speak out or not. Yeah, and, and I'm glad we brought this up. I was thinking about this this morning in, in light of our conversation. You know, we are living in some very interesting times, right? We have a pandemic going on. We have this really fractionalized, divided states of America um, as of right now. And I noticed for myself, you know, just on social media, people's comments were beginning to be very cruel and very mean and, and actually kind of hateful to each other. And I said, what can I do? What can I do? I don't want to be angry at everyone and I don't walk want to walk around being angry. What can I personally do? And I came back to the same thing that we were basically talking about. I can choose my feelings. I can choose love. I can choose peace. And so when I noticed, and I did, especially on January 6th, I was so filled with anger and upset. And then I couldn't sleep. And I said, okay, Terry, what can you do? And all I can do is be loving of myself, of others, send love and light. I don't understand others. I may not understand their viewpoints. I certainly don't understand when anyone is anti anyone or anything whether it be someone for their religion, their color, their beliefs, their culture, their size, their shape, their sexuality. I don't understand that. All I know that I can do, all I can do in the world is just send love back out to the world. Be loving, be kind, send loving messages, 
send messages of hope and peace. And that is all I can do as one human being on this planet is be love. Well, to that end, and it, it goes to the work that I do with couples, with their grappling with their conflicts. My tagline with them is seek to understand. Don't seek agreement. Seek yeah. to understand. You can agree to disagree, but you can disagree, but not be disagreeable. Oh, I like that. Mm. And I have many friends and clients and colleagues whom I love dearly who think very differently from me. And I'm not a member of any party, but, you know, in terms of both sides of the aisle kind of thing, you know, they might have voted uh, differently from me, this kind of thing. And my approach, because I love them, is I seek to understand. I don't seek to be right. Mm -hmm. I don't seek agreement. And it, it's magical, Terry, because mm -hmm. I've, maintained, I've maintained loving relationships with people on Facebook who were, you know, sometimes I'd be very strong about my point of view or whatever, because when you see tyranny in the making, you cannot remain silent. And so I did not remain silent. And yet that was uh, my observation, but I don't demonize other people for seeing things differently, right? So I've maintained my loving connections with people on Facebook I've never met who claim to still love me, although we differ, you know, in, in view or opinion. Uh, and I've maintained my, my loving friendships with people who see things very differently because why? I seek to understand. Yeah, let me speak to that for a moment. I'm really glad you brought that up. None of us are in the other person's shoes completely. The other person's body, the other person's head. We don't have the same exact experiences. Our wiring is different. Our beliefs are brought into the world differently. So while I don't necessarily agree with somebody else's viewpoint, um, it's not up to me to convince them. It's not up to me to argue with them. However, I do take a stand in what I believe. And I don't hold that that's right for everyone. And then I'll look at what you believe and I'll try it on. That to me is the seeking to understand. Let me try that on. Hmm. Maybe if I live like you, was brought up like you, whatever, I might also believe that. So I'm going to honor your beliefs and accept them. If they are, you know, to burn down the Capitol and behead people or whatever it might be, no, I don't agree with any of those behaviors. And I don't quite understand what has brought someone to that point. And that's when I let go and just shine love on them and say, I don't get it. There's something going on here that I don't get. However, I'm not afraid, and I recommend this to people, stand for your values, stand for what you believe in. You don't have to argue with anyone. You get to hold what you believe. And then I let them hold what they believe unless they're hurting me or harming me. Exactly. I think you're pointing to the distinction between uh, demanding that uh, others agree with you uh, versus just being a stand for how you think. And, and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Anthony Scalia were a great example of how two very good friends who differed about almost everything would enjoy dinner parties at each other's homes and go to the opera together and just, you know, sip a, a really good wine together. So you can, you can agree to disagree, but you can be a stand. I mean, certainly both of them were known for, you know, being strong and standing tall in their beliefs, their values, and yet they agreed to disagree, but not to be disagreeable. 
I love that, the, the not disagreeable. And, and politely, we can certainly disagree with each other. I mean, there's so many people on social media that hold all different views and positions. And as long as they're respectful, I am so open to going into their shoes and trying to understand their position. And I am seeking, I'm, I, I believe that the word that comes to me the most is curious. I'm yes. so curious, right? Yes. Human behavior, I'm curious. Oh, why do you think like that? Um, not to have you think the way I think. I want to understand, as you said, I'm curious, tell me more. And I really listen. I don't argue. I listen, I let it in and I say, somebody else's point of view. You know what? I often say to couples and people generally when, when I'm speaking at a you know, in, in an event or whatever, not these days, I do things on Zoom, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think curiosity is the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. I think curiosity is the key to connective tissue. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so I'm gonna say that again. I do believe and I've found that curiosity is the connective tissue for loving connections and intimacy. Because mm -hmm. you can be curious without judgment. Let, let's talk about the judgment piece then. Okay, yes, go ahead. So one of the things I noticed in my about to break process is that I was really good at judging everyone and holding grudges after I judged someone like, oh, oh, the, that oh the grudge piece, the grudge piece, the, if you don't get the book for anything else, get it for <laughs> that chapter on the grudge. I love it. Go ahead. Yeah. That's my favorite chapter. Yeah, you're all right. I, and I just looked at it, my gosh, I'm holding grudges about something that happened to me when I was five, 10, like what is going on with my, I was thinking of my head as a computer. I'm like, it has all this data that we need to clear out. And then I was very much realizing I was holding a judgment robe. Like I was some special person on the planet who had the right to judge everyone. The biggest release heal that I've ever had is taking that robe off and saying, I have no idea about anything. I'm just going to be open and curious about everyone and everything. And I'm just going to my other word is allow. I'm just going to allow. Everyone lives differently. I'm not here to judge. So I'm taking a wonderful uh, course right now with the two coaches in, in bold conscious leadership. And uh, one of the uh, signature values in being bold, a bold conscious leader is humility, mm. to be humble. And that's what you're really talking about. When we are able to say, I don't know everything about everything. I don't know a lot about a lot, right? And to be willing to be humble, really every good leader must be willing to be humble because if you're not, you're arrogant. And when you're arrogant, you think you already know. And if you think you already know, how in the world are you gonna listen to anybody else? It's interesting you say that. I remember early on, it, it had to be like 20 something years ago, a personal coach that I had one day after I was talking about an event said, when did you decide that you were wanted to be so righteous? And at the, Whoa, time, ouch. Right at the time, it was like slap in the face. Right? And I remember thinking, wow. And then he said, just consider that all I'm asking is you consider that. And about two weeks later, I realized I was being righteous. I thought I knew everything about everything. Was this your coach? Mm -hmm. Was this Brian? 
No, no, this was uh, someone else. Matthew, Matthew Perry. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew Perry. Right. Yeah, he's extraordinary. And that woke me up. I'm like, you're right. I judge everything and everyone, and I'm right. I'm always right. And because I'm always right, I'm not open. I'm not curious. And I'm closing off my heart saying, well, I'm not accepting that. I'm not accepting you. That was a huge one. And, and the ouch, I still remember it. I was like, wow, that really hurt. Felt like he hit me. And later I realized that was probably the best, most powerful true statement that can help wake me up and move me out of the righteousness and judgment. By the way, that's the gift of feedback. So in all of our intimate relationships, the people who know us best, who see us in ways we can't see ourselves, they're always giving us feedback whether or not we see it that way. And so if we receive their feedback as that and not criticism or attack, we receive great gifts. Likewise, when we have really good coaches, yes, the coach's job is to give us feedback. You know, because why? Because I can't see what you see. Exactly. Right? So, so Matthew was giving you feedback. Yes. And that feedback helped me course correct and change direction. You know what you don't want in a coach? I always tell people that somebody who pats you on the head and goes, great job. That's awesome. That's a friend, right? So the right. Best, know, often coaches need to be cheerleaders, but yeah. not but not pat on the head. The cheerleader is, I know this has been a rough spot and I want to applaud your courage and, and good job. Now, now what's next? There you go. Now let's, let's go, let's go, let's move. And, and I will say that was, you know, one of the best moments was when he said that, um, even though it felt like a little bit ouchy, I sat back and said, well, I hired him to help me and to tell me the truth, not just to pat me on the head. Let's face it. The truth often hurts, doesn't it? It does. And it but, allowed me to move forward. But one of our jobs, Terry, in our evolution as human beings and in our seeking to have more loving relationships with the people we claim to love is that we learn to really tell the truth to ourselves about ourselves, number mm -hmm. one. And then we learn to tell the truth about ourselves to someone else. So the first person maybe we can you know, gather the courage to tell the truth about ourselves to is a coach or a therapist whom you trust. But then the next level is tell it to the person you're most afraid of hearing it. Very true. Right? Very true. Yes. So that's just the final piece that I'll say about that is the two words that I literally use every day are open and curious. I'm always open and curious. I'm open and curious to what someone says, what someone does, the reasons behind it. And it is all connected to what you said before about seek to understand. Beautiful. Well, on the one hand, I could say we've reached a wonderful kind of um, conclusion of, of this part of the conversation. Uh, I feel like the arc has gone up here and then and down to this beautiful point. Say that again. Open and curious, two most important words, and then really come from a place of, I really want to know, I really want to understand. And that's where the love comes from. That's where the openness and the love comes from, allowing other people to be different than you and think differently. Beautiful. However, 
if you're willing to spend the time, Terry, I would like to expand this part of the conversation to digging a little deeper for the sake of our listeners and those who are watching us as well on, on YouTube. I want, uh, so many people say to me, I, I understand the value of self-love, but how do I do it? How do I learn to love myself if I never had anyone to teach me how to love myself? I often say, I wish for everyone that they had a mother like mine. Because when I looked in my mother's eyes and my grandmother's eyes, I saw nothing but acceptance and love. You know, the message I got was, I'm beautiful, I'm wonderful, I could do anything I want, right? So, so that, that for me is easy, right? So it's easier for me to access self-love because I had nurturing from my mother and my grandmother, not my father who turned the back on me and my brother, right? And on his deathbed at the age of 46, he was young when he was dying. He asked my mother, my brother, and me to come to his deathbed to ask our forgiveness mm -hmm. for treating us like we were dead. And my brother has not yet forgiven. I have, but mm -hmm. that wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. it, took, it took a while. So, you know, so if I were to reference my father and as a result of his closing his, uh, you know, heart on us and, and, and locking us out of his life and treating us like we didn't exist, you know, as a, as a young woman my, uh, or a teenager, my, my question always was, well, what's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. Why doesn't daddy pay attention? Why does daddy, you know, why is daddy able to ignore us? So that leaves that, that doubt and that question in terms of self-love and acceptance. But luckily for me, I had a mother and a grandmother who gave me that sustenance, right? But mm -hmm. Terry, I have people come to me all the time over the past 40 years who have had a mother and her father who said to them, you shouldn't have been born. You're a piece of, you know what, uh, you're, you're an inconvenience. I hate you, get out of my face or, you know, that kind of thing. And how do these people who have no reference point find self-love? What have you discovered in your process with all the people you work with, with the digging deep with yourself? How can we help others understand that they still can find it? How do we do that? It's a great question. And it is in there. It's in, we all have the capacity to love ourselves. However, what other people have said to us consciously, unconsciously, it gets in there. And it, in a way, kind of like messes with our heads. So the very first activity I ask people to do is to get a notebook, get a journal, and, and always write. Don't keyboard. Keyboarding lets you use one hemisphere of the brain. Writing engages both and opens creativity. Write down all the things that you even sort of kind of like about yourself, whether it's, I have pretty eyes, uh, I'm kind, whatever it is. I want you to write down everything. And even when you think I can't write anymore, keep writing. I will have my clients do this for 30 minutes and I have them set a timer. And I people go, well, after three, I have nothing else to say. Keep going, keep going. After you do that, every single day, for 30 days, and I mean every single day consistently, first thing in the morning and last thing at night, in the bathroom mirror, right, look it in your eyes, even if you don't believe it, say, I love you, even if you don't believe it. The first times that I started to say that, maybe five days in a row, I felt like a fraud and a phony. 
And then I would go back and I'd look at my list of these things that I wrote about myself. And I'd go back to the mirror the next day and say, I love you. After about three weeks of this, I noticed the way I said it was different. It was as if I was saying it to someone else, that person in the mirror that I had not let myself see. And now I can look in the mirror very easily and smile at myself and say, I love you. Even with my imperfections that make me perfect because all of us are that way. We're, perf- we're all perfectly imperfect and where we are in our lives right now is exactly where we need to be. And that's so hard for many people to grasp. Uh, listen, I do this exercise every day and it's something I give my clients to do. And the overwhelming majority say, oh, I can't do that. I said, do it anyway, right? <laughs> and, and it really goes to uh, practice, practice, practice. How do you get to Carnegie Hall, right? Practice, yep. practice, practice. Yep. How do you learn to love yourself? Practice the techniques that others yep. who might know more than you do today about what works. Trust them. So yes. this is, you know, trusting people who know better and have your back. I often say my job is to see someone's light until they can see it themselves. Oh my God. Mm. I like that. Yes. And that's true though. Even when people say to me, oh, it's so difficult to even look at myself in the mirror. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Do it every day. Even if you think nothing's happening. Just the way I said with my client, sending all this love and light to his ex-wife, he said, well, nothing's happening. So, well, it's not for us to make something happen. It's just us for us to change our state and our feelings. Look what happened. So absolutely listen to those who've been there before you and know more than you. That's the open, be open and be curious. Well, it's a telltale sign, isn't it? When someone says to you, I, I, uh, I can't stand to look at myself in the mirror, much less say, I love you. I mean, what's that telling you? Oh my goodness. They're so full of self-judgment, right? Yeah. Years ago, I'm now 79, but when I turned 60, uh, it seems like, you know, forever ago, <laughs> I was about 80 pounds heavier than I wanted to be. And I decided at the age of 60, that I wanted that to be my midpoint. In other words, I wanted to live to be 120, right? Well, if I'm gonna live to be 120, I better get this excess weight off because it's weighing me down. It's compromising my, my whole body, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I engaged in a whole process of releasing the weight and I found a, a weight loss coach and, and I went to a doctor for some help and backup and everything. And the first exercise was to look in the mirror and and, and preferably a a long mirror, naked. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I say to myself every day, I love you and you're gorgeous and I want you to be around a long time. Mm. I love you and you're gorgeous and I want you to be around a long time. And I, of course, didn't believe any of it. Right. But I said it anyway. I did release the 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was, was so funny. My grandchildren were, were little and they'd come to visit running up the stairs and they wouldn't see me a lot. So they, you know, there might be three or four weeks in between visits. As a time, my husband was very sick and, and the whole family would come visit, but it, it took a bit of a trip. And, you know, I, I saw the look of, of delight on my granddaughter said, Nana, you're so skinny. <laughs> Nana, you're disappearing, right? Don't, don't lose too much weight, Nana. I, I like you to be cuddly, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
So it was so interesting when I when I released those 80 pounds and I completely changed my wardrobe. I had a whole different body. I walked down the street and I got whistles. It scared it scared me to death. I understand that. Right? Because here I was, 60, my husband was terminal. I wasn't experiencing my own sexuality, right? I I I'd use the weight as a shield, right? That was yeah. my protection, right? And I had to face that, mm-hmm. right? So that that opened up a whole new realm of judgment and fear and all that sort of thing. And and to this day, you know, I, I gained uh, probably forty pounds back, and uh, you know, I'm constantly on the yo-yo. And but but the big but, and I don't usually use but and I'll use the word and. <laughs> I don't judge me anymore. I celebrate who I am. I celebrate my body, my age, my uh, frailties, whatever. Last year I had a hip surgery, which changed my life. But, uh, but the point is that when we can begin to practice something that allows us to let go of judgment and mm-hmm. self-judgment, that's huge. And if you cannot release self-judgment, you cannot love yourself. Agreed. Agreed. That's why it always begins, as, as you said, I, I said in the book, it's an inside game. You have to start with you. If you are not loving of yourself, you really will not have the capacity, in my experience, to love others. And many of us grow up not loving ourselves, not taught to love ourselves. And we go, well, I don't love myself. So that's just the way it is. No. And there's signs. It's funny you mentioned weight, because I, I think about this quite a bit. One of the outward signs of not loving yourself is not taking care of your physical body. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, you're just too lazy to brush your teeth or you're like, who cares if I eat a whole pizza and brownies? Nobody cares. I always notice that about people. I always watch and just in how they treat their body. That's, that's your house for life. I'm like, wow, are they loving and respecting that house that they're in? And so I've noticed that in my own life. I, I've probably been every weight under the sun. I think my wardrobe could be every size on the planet. And I always notice that when the weight has creeped back up, there is something that I am not loving about myself. And it's, it's not that I don't love myself because I gained weight. It's like, no, some things have added up and then I put some pounds on. So I really ask people who are watching and listening us, just notice are you taking extraordinary care of yourself? And I mean extraordinary mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. That's how you love yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, during this period of COVID, mm. all, most of us find ourselves going more within um, and having the challenge of being more with ourselves than we're used to being. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and I found that to be kind of an exciting challenge in many ways. And I also discovered that I can be very busy in the work that I do virtually. So my, my, my practice actually doubled and tripled during this past year. Uh, I learned how to pivot and all that sort of thing, right? So, uh, and uh, by going within and being kind of forced by circumstances to spend more time with myself than I'm used to, I began to fully appreciate the extent to which I'm not taking as good care of myself as I could, might, should. Right now, I want to take the shoulds out, but to really ask myself, how do I want to optimize my health and my fitness? 
how do I want to ensure that I'm going to be around another 50 years now being, you know, in my eighth decade, right? So uh, I really do take even more care of myself now than ever before. I've upped the ante with supplementation. I've upped the ante. I've, I hired a personal trainer to help me get back in shape, which I really, really don't like. I don't like <laughs> doing exercise. It's not my thing. You know, it's just not my thing. And so uh, I recognize, you know, I accept myself with all, all my perfect imperfections. I recognize that uh, I tend to sit more than I, you know, walk. And uh, luckily, I have to walk stairs to come to my office. So that's my, that's my exercise. I go up and down the stairs. <laughs> right. but, uh, but taking care of ourselves is really a, an ongoing exercise in self-affirmation, isn't it? That when we take action, you know, we can speak a good game. We can talk a good game. But Terry, it doesn't matter unless we take action. Right. That's that's so I've invested in really good uh, body care. I've invested in really good coaching that takes care of me and my inner work. I've invested in really good supplements that take, take care of my immune system and my body and all of that. Uh, and to the extent that I continue to take action, it fuels my sense of self-love because I'm saying to myself, Sheila Pearl, you matter. Mm -hmm. you matter and what you do matters and you being around matters right so taking action is critical and i'm glad you mentioning action people talk a lot sheila as you know about the law of attraction and in that word is built in the word action we need both things working together and that's when the magic happens so noticing what your self-talk is, what you're saying to yourself and how you're treating yourself. And I have eight coaches, eight <laughs> people helping me physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally with my workouts, with my eating, with my skin. I mean, I could go on and on. And people go, you, you, you got me beat, Terry. I think I have five. <laughs> I, I thought, oh, uh, uh, who was it? Um, a famous golfer. I think he had four, four coaches, right? Uh, but uh, good for you. It's important for me because if I don't walk my talk, come from a place of taking care of myself and my body, like in the airplane, put the oxygen mask on you first, then you can help others. I can't be a good model for my client family members. I can't live my best life. I can't be the best wife, the best sister, the best anything without that focus and don't feel, I just want to say to everyone, don't feel selfish. You need to love self first. And if you cannot do that, you don't have enough capacity to love others. Exactly. Listen, Terry, not for nothing. Rumi said, don't fall asleep. Oh, I love that. Right. Don't yeah. fall asleep because human tendency is, ah, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit and sog. Uh, I know what to do, but I'm not in the mood today. Don't fall asleep. That's why we have coaches. That's why we have mentors. That's why we have therapists to hold our feet to the fire, to show us that we can be our best selves. We can be a better self tomorrow. And it's not judging. It's just recognizing we're all works in progress. We're all perfectly imperfect. And we're all designed to learn and grow until the last breath we take, and maybe beyond that. 
I am such a believer in continuous learning. And no matter what happens, even if it's something that's, you know, I feel is wrong, I look at it and I say, what's the gift? What's the gift? Everything that happens in my experience has a gift. You know, as we're going through COVID for now, what, almost a year, a year, I ask, how is COVID a gift? Well, in many cases, it's bringing people together. In many cases, it's let people get quiet and get still. In many cases, it has people going inside. So while we may be looking at it as this quote, awful thing, I look at it and say, where's the gift in it? Let me find the gift. As odd as that may sound, if you look at everything with that going back to open, curious, what's the gift? I can find a gift in almost any situation. So even the one we alluded to earlier with your grandchildren, is there a gift in here? And we have to shift the questions. If we want different answers, we have to ask ourselves different questions. If we walk around saying, that's too challenging, that's too hard, I'm unhappy, those are all choices. I don't choose to feel unhappy. I don't choose to feel challenged. So we have to remember consciously we choose our thoughts. Totally. So that we get back to that through line, the fire in the box. Mm -hmm. The fire in the box is life inviting us to pay attention and step up constantly. I have suffered the loss of a child when she was only eight months old, the mm. only child I ever gave birth to, the only child who ever called me mommy who came from my loins when I married my husband his children treated me like I was dead kind of like my father they wanted me gone and I, that's one of the reasons I went back to graduate school and got my master's in social work so that I could I, I was uh, inspired by the family therapist I found and I realized that you know just as she had helped us um, it looked like I wasn't going to have children with my husband, which I wanted. So how can I use my nurturing skills? So I went back to school and, and got my MSW. And in, in graduate school, I discovered that I could not live without singing. So, you know, the fire in the box, the fire in the box. I could not do without singing. I wasn't done. So I found a way to use my voice, although I was trained as an opera singer. I made a left turn and became a cantor. So I used my nurturing skills. They called me Mother Earth. I, I had a, you know, a big family and a big house and lots of children, just not the way I planned, right? So my life has now expanded partly because of the losses and the pains and the disappointments. And I was challenged with that fire in the box to step up, mm -hmm. to ask myself, what next? Mm -hmm to ask myself, how can I make this a blessing? When my husband began to develop dementia, I thought God definitely has a sense of humor because my husband's greatest uh, prize was his mind. He was mm. brilliant. And mm. I watched him just you know, disappear. Mm -hmm. And then he got to the point where he didn't know who I was. And I, I fell to my knees, Terry, asking, what, what is the blessing? Mm -hmm. how, how, in this, how in the world can this be a blessing? But help me, how can I make this a blessing? And it's at the source of all the work I do now. I'm, I'm retired cantor, 16, going 17 years, actually. You know, in April, it'll be 17 years. <clears throat> and uh, I uh, work every day with people to help them 
to not bless their life. I mean, to not curse their life, but to bless it, to bless everything, to bless everything that brought them to this point in their life. Because everything that's a source of pain and suffering is also a gift that opens us. You know, one of the themes that comes through the conversations I've had so far that I've been recording, getting ready for this podcast, is the whole notion of cracking us open. That mm. life can crack us open so that we open as a result of that assault, of that abuse, of that trauma. It's, it, it's inviting us. We can either take the invitation or not, but it's inviting us to crack open, to expand. Mm. What can I do to make this a blessing? How can I see this as a gift? So you and I, I mean, it's so interesting how we, we became connected, I think, through, through Facebook originally. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and I felt such an alignment with you. And it's often, uh, it takes a while, maybe it takes a, a conversation of this import to really discover all of the elements within both of us in our lives that we intuitively, instinctively, unconsciously, spiritually felt this connection, which I felt with you, you know, from the time we, we first kind of connected on Facebook. Anyone who calls her business entrepreneurs has got to have something that I want to pay attention to. Right? <laughs> and, and that's an important point, though, too. Like, I, I noticed who I'm drawn to, right? And then I bring more of that into my life. Like, oh, that feels good. That person, that experience, whatever it might be, just bring more of that in. And things that may not resonate with you as much, you don't have to allow everything into your world. It just doesn't, it, it means you still can be loving and kind and gentle about that person, their opinions, the experience, mm -hmm. and, and allow in what feels good. We have to remember all of us that we're, we're a choice. We get to choose how we feel. No one can make us feel any which way. My parents, your parents, anyone can say and do things that perhaps we felt were damaging. Now we can consciously say, okay, I choose to let that go. I want to choose a different feeling. And that's the feeling I'm going to choose. I'm being intentional. Which gets back to one of your through lines in your book. And that is forgiveness is a choice. And it's a choice that can serve your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, because when we're holding on to something, as you say, and I've discovered as well, when we're holding on to something that fuels anger or bitterness, it's only hurting us. Yeah, and, and it hurts us in so many ways. It hurts us from being loving of ourselves, of others. It hurts us because we are choosing thoughts that actually don't feel good can make us sick. I mean, think about me, <laughs> fire, fire, fire. And here I am with this, you know, horrific neurological disease. When I consciously got very present about this, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Fire. And I have a disease of fire. This is interesting. I released the fire in the box. I released the episode. I had a process that is really for me, the path of true forgiveness that works interesting for almost three years now i haven't felt fire in my body that is amazing that is again it's miraculous and it points to the the work that people like like dr joe Dispenza do in the world 
And I know you know Dr. Joe just like I do. And when we, we honor that because it all begins with a thought. It all begins with an intention. It all begins with an understanding that's true. And that is we can change our DNA with our thoughts and beliefs. We are amazing instruments of healing and inspiration and growth in the world. But it all starts with a choice. All starts with an intention. Terry, I am so grateful for you. Perhaps we can have part two. We can talk about that. You know, there's always more to talk about with, with the whole field of forgiveness and love and want to hear more about what you've learned about yourself in this process in terms of, you know, what shuts you down, what, what broke you down at that, that breaking point and having uh, learned that what was getting in the way was just loving yourself and, and letting go. So tell us how, how people can find you. You're just a, a wonderful source of, of uh, wisdom and, and uh, great information. So how can people find you? The best way is just go to my website, which is heartrepreneur.com, heartrepreneur.com. And I'm very active on Facebook in my own Facebook group called Heartrepreneurs with Terry Levine. So either way, and uh, I'd love to communicate with anyone about anything around forgiveness, love, anything I can help with. I'm here to serve and I'm just honored to get to be here with you and to play with you, Sheila. Wonderful. Terry, thank you for playing with me and for helping to make us all a little more loving than we were before this conversation. So again, this is Sheila Pearl, the Love Doctor, reminding you that we can all make love better in many ways. Bye for now. See you next time.